I watch film, but I'd be honest, I mean, when I first started watching film, I was just watching the game. Hello everybody, welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, it's your host at NFL on Twitter. Of course, follow the group at UK Packers. And because of the bye week, we decided not to do our preview, post-review kind of gear. What we did instead was we're bringing back Celebrity Friday. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you Mr. Greg Jennings. So Greg, first off, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it is an honour, you're a Packers guy for us when i put your name into google anybody else puts your name into google the first picture that we always see is you wearing a packers uniform and that's the way it should be do you always see yourself as a as the packers guy or how do you see it yeah i mean that's that's how i see myself when it, when i look at over the course of my career i played 10 years in the league seven of those years were in the green and gold packer uniform so um and, and i got drafted there so I, I tell everybody that's where everything was burst you know, that's where my career was birthed. So, you know, once once mama has birthed you, you know, you're always her son. <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> so there's no there's no deny there's no denying that. So yeah, I mean I'm a packer for life, that's how I see it. Yeah, and I mean look, there was all this nonsense that went on and quotes flying around, but to tell you, we're not going to get into that here on this podcast. You know, we just want to appreciate you as as the Packer legend that you are and the sort of super athlete that you are. So I think in order to do that, if it's okay, and I, we do this with all the guests that we have on the podcast, I don't mean to get too shrink on you, but can I bring you back a little bit, back to the childhood, back to the beginnings of Greg Jennings? How does that sound? Absolutely, let's do it. So, Greg, what I want to know is, I mean... Look, you had multiple sports in your life. You had football, basketball, track. You know, even when you played football, you were a wide receiver, running back. You played outside linebacker, defensive back. I mean, what was your childhood like? I mean, what was it like growing up in Michigan? Was it was it a tough place to be, or were you just a super athletic guy who did all of that in spite of any sort of trouble? You know what? I I look at it. I was a super athletic guy who didn't really know the talent that I possessed. Yeah. Um, I had an idea of what it was, but, um, you know, I was just at at that level, head and shoulders, I mean, if not waist, of yeah. high above everyone else when it came to just sheer athletic ability. Yeah. Um, but that's where it started. It was, it was exciting as a young guy, as a young player, to be good and to be noticed as someone that was a very special talent. Um, and to blossom and to grow that. And is that genetic for you, Greg? I mean, were your parents super athletes? Did you have people in your family that were just insane athletes as well? Or was this just something unique to you that you were sort of born with, that you were gifted? Um, you know what? My dad was, was a really good athlete um, in high school. Um, obviously, when he was growing up, his parents didn't really allow him to pursue sports like that. Yeah. But uh, even growing up with, with my three other siblings, you know, he would always take us out back and, and beat us in basketball every single day and just, <laughs> you know, different things like that that I, I recall as a young young child growing up that I I literally, I loved those moments. Yeah. Um, but I think more than anything, it motivated me to one day, I got to beat my dad. Like, that was my <laughs> mindset. Like, I got to beat Pops, you know? Yeah. And did that happen, Greg? I mean, did you go and do a massive dunk on him and sort of say, I'm the, I'm the man of the house now? I mean, did that ever happen? 
you know, that never, that never happened. You know, I didn't, I, I always, I respected him for who he was and, and what he did for me from uh, an athletic standpoint, because he definitely gave me the gifts that I possess. Uh, um, so I, I owe everything that I am as an athlete to my dad. So I, I, I would never disrespect him and try to dunk on him. But, <laughs> but if he, if, you know, if it came down to it, I, I would definitely make it happen. And I, I mean, Greg, look, you're so accomplished athletically at such a young age. And like I said, I mean, football, basketball, track, and then within football, all of these different positions. So what I want to know is, I mean, why football and why wide receiver? You know what? Um, I was just talking about this to someone today, and you know the reason why I chose football. I was more more so recruited as a basketball athlete than yeah. football. Um, coming out of high school, but I had a cousin who played um, dual sports in high school, and he went to the University of Michigan, and he chose to play football. And I asked him, I said, Ian, why did you play? Why did you pick football? Because he was he was a good basketball player as well. Yeah. And he simply said, "Man, I looked at the roster. It's 53 guys on on a football field on a, on a team, yeah. and there's 12 guys on an NBA team." And he said, I had to go with the odds. And when he broke it down to me like that, you know, at that moment in, in the NBA, there were almost no six-foot point guards. And you had, like, your Muzzy Bogues and your Spud Webs, you know, those guys. But it was – it was Allen Iverson had – was just coming in. It was – he was, like, the only one. So, um, for me, it was like, you know what? Let me go. Let me roll with that advice, and I did, and it paid off. And wide wide receiver, um, you know, I started off playing running back yeah. in high school, and my sophomore year, the varsity team we had no receivers, hmm. and so we were at camp one day, and they're like, "Man, we need some receivers," and I'm like, "Man, I can catch." <laughs> you know, I had never really played receiver, but I'm like, I can catch. I mean, it's not hard to catch the ball. And so I started catching, and they were like, uh, I think we found our guy. And so I've been playing the receiver ever since my sophomore year in high school. That's amazing. Because, Greg, one thing that strikes me about you, and I hope you don't mind me saying it is, is that you're super smart. I mean, you can, you can see it in your eyes. You can see how you carry yourself. And I think it's why you probably have people pulling at you 24-7 to get you to do interviews, to get you to appear on the top shows in America, to discuss the analytics behind football and to give your take on it. Because A, you're an accomplished athlete in the NFL. And B, you know how to string your sentences together in such a way that it's like a craft. So you go off to college. You're extremely smart. Did you ever think that, oh, perhaps I want to go down a career where I can use my brain more, or was it always going to be trying to get into the NFL for you? You know what? It was always that goal, that that dream was always there of aspiring to be an NFL player. You know, it started, like I said, it started off as an NBA player, then it transitioned over to an NFL player. And, in, and when I got to college, I studied um, – in high school for four years, architecture engineering. Yeah. And so I was going to school for architecture engineering. And, you know, they came and recruited me. And, you know, you hear that you're going to be a student first, athlete second. That's yeah. all a bunch of baloney. <laughs> as much as I respect, as much as I respect the recruiting process. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was studying architecture engineering. 
um, which is something that I still enjoy. Um, but I couldn't pursue it because I had to, I was on a football scholarship and they pretty much head coach brought me in his office and he pretty much gave me an ultimatum and said, look, son, we had you on a football scholarship. Mm. And I was missing practices because of my engineering courses. He's like, you get, you have to make a decision. Do you want to be an engineer or do you want to play football? Yeah. And obviously my parents wouldn't have, have, have looked at it as a great decision to say, hey, I want to pursue architecture engineering and you have to pay for my school now. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, I made uh, the young wise decision to keep my scholarship to retain that and just focus on football yeah and i mean how was your passion for football greg i mean you obviously wanted to do this engineering um as you said you had that sort of mba influence so when it came to football did you have the passion there when someone sat you down and said you can't do what you want to do study wise you have to do football was the fire in you at that stage to say yeah that's fine that's no problem i want to do that or was it a bit of a slog for you um you know it, it wasn't I think I didn't really look at it as a big, big deal at that moment. Yeah. Because I didn't really under I didn't really understand the magnitude of the decision that I was making. Um, because I, I still wanted to pursue football. I wanted to I wanted to try to get to the next level. Now at that present moment when I was making that decision, you know, this was my second year um in college, so I wasn't you know, the highly looked at scouts are coming to see me guy yeah. um, at that moment. And so it was, it was like, okay, I still got, a, I got an opportunity to play and make a name for myself. So it's no big deal. I'll switch my major. Um, I was disappointed, however. And, but like I said, it wasn't like mentally aware on or awake. Yeah. Or I, I didn't use it as like fuel or chip or anything. I just did what I had to do and you know, because I still had football so pursued it and my junior my after my sophomore year it became more of a reality that look, um, I'm starting to get looked at by scouts. You have an opportunity to make this thing happen. Yeah. And that's when it got real. That's when it got very real. Yeah, and I mean look, you were a top touted prospect. Uh, coming out of college you go into the nfl draft can you give me a sense of what that draft is like and the sort of the oddness around the whole thing because i've had you know top players like yourself on the podcast before and they describe it with words like it was like a cattle mart you know you have people podding prodding at you poking at you interviewing you asking you odd silly questions and then of course you have to go into the combine like was that a was that a particularly stressful time for greg jennings (laughs) you know what It, it really honestly it wasn't a stressful time for me it was fun. I embraced it. I enjoyed it. Uh, it. It was it was something I looked forward to because it drove me. And I was at a smaller school. You know, the odds were pretty much stacked against me, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm 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 being overlooked by all these by all these scouts because of the the talent that was right in that radius of Michigan. Yeah. Um, with the Michigan States, the 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 Michigans and you know, the school like that. So for me, it was an opportunity to show that despite where I am, Mm. I'm going to make a splash and a big enough splash to where they have to come and see me and they have to give me an opportunity. And It's crazy, Greg. I mean, Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers call your name. How do you feel? So here's the truth. 
Steve, here's the, <laughs> the, the, the straight truth. Two days before draft day, um, I got a call from Green Bay. Yeah. This is a 9 area code. Every team in the league would typically call if they had interest in drafting you um, to see if you had the working cell number and everything like that. Yeah. So I, I literally, vividly, I recall a 9 area code. My buddy and I, who got drafted in the fifth round, we went out to, to breakfast the morning of the draft, or actually the morning before. Yeah. And he's like, we're asking one another, where would we want to go and where would we not want to go? Yeah. And we both say, like, simultaneously, I don't want to go to Green Bay. <laughs> really? Um, we're both from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and it's like simultaneously no Green Bay. <laughs> and so draft day comes, and I see their picks, and there's a couple of things that had transpired in the first round, or um, early second round, mm. and then I see Green Bay there up at the 50th pick, and I'm like, man, they just traded Javon Walker. Yeah, and I know they need a receiver, and I'm like, I don't want to go there. And so they pick, <laughs> they pick, they pick the offensive lineman, Darren College. And I'm like, I literally it was like a sigh of relief. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And then I look back up at the screen and I look at the ticker and I see they have the 52nd pick. And it was like everything in me knew that I was going to Green Bay. And that, that pick came up. They called me and no lie, my head, I threw my head back and I, I took this like, ah, oh. <laughs> because I saw that 920 area code. I was so like you got to be kidding me. Yeah. And man, I, it was like, that was my, that was my feeling. Those were my sentiments. And then, you know, the coach gets on the phone. He's like, Hey Greg, we're going to draft you here at number 52. Are you ready to be a green Bay Packer? And it's like, <laughs> it was like everything shifted. I'm like, absolutely. I can't wait. <laughs> it was like this false sense of just everything just spiked in me. But you know what? After being there and getting there and being, it could have never, couldn't have worked out any better. It was such a blessing for me to play my, have my career start in Green Bay. Like Greg, seriously, amazingly, refreshingly honest. We have people on the podcast and they feel very guarded. It doesn't seem like that's what we're going to get from you today. It seems like you're just going to be painfully honest. Um, so look, I'm looking at you now at this stage, right? And you're you're a young man, a highly talented dude, and you get handed a multi-million dollar contract straight away. Is that crazy? Is that crazy at that age to be handed that amount of money or? Are you so prepared that that's the sort of thing that goes on? So it's not as crazy, but I just can't get my head around it. Like, can you explain to me how that feels? You know what? It, it wasn't crazy. It was I was prepared for it. I had played Monopoly several times, <laughs> so I knew how to manage that. Kind of... No, are you kidding me? <laughs> this was not Monopoly money. Yeah, this was real life, and it, it was. It was. It wasn't overwhelming. However, it was it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot because you're you're pretty much handed this, not handed because you work for it, but yeah. you're put in a position to where you have to manage more than just money. Mm. You have to you have to manage, and now uh, you have all these added pieces of responsibility. Fortunately for me. I was married going into getting drafted, going into my senior year in college. So, you know, I was pretty founded 
you know, and I had my wife and, you know, we, we pretty much had our heads on straight trying to get done what we were getting done. So we were working things together. So it wasn't just myself. I wasn't leaning on mom and dad and trying to figure out, Hey mom, you know, it was my wife and I, so we kind of grow, we grew and we, we, we learned, we, we made mistakes and we made more mistakes. And after the mistakes were made and corrected, we, we started having success with, with what to do with our money and how to, how to make our money work for us. And, and how to live correctly and not be beyond our means. And it, it turned out, you know, I was able to get another two, three contracts and man, we, we, we live a very, very blessed and fortunate life, but it, it definitely came uh, on, on literally on the legs of several mistakes being made because one, if you're not brought up in that environment with that kind of means of wealth, you don't know what you should do. Are you you're you're asking more questions than what you ever even could imagine to know. Yeah. And so that's what we had to do and, and we had to literally had to learn. Sometimes we couldn't ask the questions, we just had to go with what felt right in our gut. And, and uh like I said, it was a lot of, it was a learning process and you know, we're we're still here today. <laughs> yeah. Eleven years strong, we're making it happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, and sort of to, to bring it down to sort of playing career, you were named as a starter straight away, Greg. I mean, did that scare you? Now, you seem like the super confident guy, but honestly, did that scare you to be named the starter straight away? Um, You know what it did? That was, I went in, I went into camp knowing that I had an opportunity to start um, if I just did what I did. Yeah. And I think more than anything, it was, it was a. Pr- I put a pressure on myself to to catch every ball that Brett threw to me. Yeah. Like that was that was my goal. It wasn't even like okay, I want to start. It was like okay, when he throws the ball, when you have an opportunity, just make the play. Yeah. Because I knew going in, if I can gain his confidence, if he can trust me, that I would have a great opportunity to to make this team and to be impactful on this offense. And that was that was probably more pressure than anything, making sure that I caught the ball every time when Brett threw it to me. And I mean, your first interaction with Brett Favre then as a young man, I mean, do you remember what that interaction was? And was there a level of awe when you walked into the locker room or the practice field and saw him stand there or some of the other veteran players stand there? Um, yeah, there, there was definitely that level of awe. I, def- I didn't show it, but <laughs> it, was, it was definitely that awe, that inner awe, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So my first interaction was, you know, I was I was a young rookie, no-name guy to everyone, and I'm walking, I'm just trying to go get something to eat, yeah. and everyone's in the, everyone's in the, the team dining. Hmm. And I walk, literally, I walk in, and the first person is sitting right there and looking right at me is Brett. And then you have Armand Green, like, right there, and then Chad. And I'm looking, and I, like, I, I literally was like a deer in headlights. I, like, paused, <laughs> and I just felt I saw none of my counterparts. I saw no other rookie in there. Yeah. And I'm like, um, I, I kind of felt like I shouldn't have been in there, so I turned around and walked out. <laughs> really, yeah? <laughs> I did. I literally turned around and walked out and then started over again about an hour later. I'm 
Oh man, it was it was so embarrassing, but I, I just felt like, uh, yeah, maybe I'm not supposed to be in here right yeah. now. And so, explain your relationship then with Brett Favre, if you can. I mean, you know, obviously when you walk in, you're in awe and all that stuff. But I'd say that goes away fairly quickly once you start catching spirals. So, is what type of relationship is there between the quarterback and wide receiver, and more specifically between Favre and yourself? Was it a friendship? Was it that he was a quarterback? Everyone keeps their mouth shut. I mean, what type of rapport did you two have? You know, we had a really, really good rapport. We had a great relationship. Um, a great football relationship and it, our relationship off the field it was growing but he our time together was short so short-lived that that could that didn't really have an opportunity to blossom yeah. through those two years but I mean we still talk now but um, basically the relationship between quarterback and receiver is everything and a lot of people think it starts on the field it probably, begin it probably does start on the field mm. but it is developed off of the field it is developed in the classroom it is developed within that study time and so that developmental time that time of nurturing is more so important than even on the field on the field is like oh man i think i can have a relationship with this guy mm. because of the talent that is strikingly there between the quarterback and receiver and the chemistry yeah. But if you don't develop and nurture that off the field and study together and, and get on the same page and understand what your quarterback is thinking so that you can try to think like a quarterback when you're out there, because let's be honest, he, he has to, he, you have to be on the page with him. He can't be on the same page with you because he has too many other responsibilities. And so what Brett did, he would, he, he would come and grab me and we would watch him together and he would just tell me what he was thinking and he would ask now what are you thinking on this what do you see and I would I would share with him what I saw and he would say okay so this is what I'm looking at when I when you're running this route and when the defense when the team the defense is giving us this look and it really helped advance our relationship so early and so quick that we were able to have that chemistry as this you know, I had been there for years. Yeah, and that's another thing. I mean, so that's the off the field stuff. That's your that's your film study. But how chaotic was it to play with Brett Favre on the field? Because I mean, we're all given this impression that he was the gunslinger. You know, we all know about his interceptions, and some people were saying that he was reckless to a degree. I mean, did you get that as a wide receiver? And you know, if if the play broke down, would you sort of have to read his mind almost to where he would want you to be when the play did break down and you had to cut off your route? Absolutely, absolutely. He was honestly he you you were, as a receiver you wouldn't want to play with anyone else. Yeah. At that position with his mindset. Yeah. Because his you were always in the play. I don't care. We have a saying where you know when you know you're not getting the ball, you're on the dummy route. You're running. You're taking one for the team. Yeah. You're you're that clear out guy. You don't have a chance of getting this ball on this particular play, but we your route is important to the, the, the scheme of what we're trying to accomplish as an offense. But with Brett, there was no such thing as a taking one for the team or a <laughs> dummy route. Yeah. You were 100% in play all the time. And as a receiver, 
that was the best feeling because you ran your route to win every time, no matter what. And for a young guy coming in, it helped me because, you know, you got caught backside, you know, kind of just running the route just to run it because you know you're not getting it. And you're really not that important or thinking that you're not that important. But Brett, man, if you weren't running and he threw it, he made you look so bad because, number one, he shouldn't be throwing it over there. But now we see that you're lulling and not really – you're, you're being, you're slouching. You're not really running your route. You're not taking the seat. You know, so he would, he would always just give you that extra incentive on, man. I could get this ball just as much as the number one guy that's in the progression can get it. Yeah, and like that brings me to kind of the the whole fire of saga. Then I mean, so you had this excellent chemistry with him. You felt that you're really starting to build that rapport, and then that whole thing happened with Green Bay and Favre retiring, not retiring. I mean, what type of effect did that have on you? And what type of effect did that have on the locker room? Or was everybody kind of kept in the dark? Um, I mean, we were we were kind of kept in the dark. We didn't really know what was going on. And we kind of literally, as, the, as, as you got the news, we got the news. You know, we weren't privy to any information prior to anything taking place. We just had to kind of, it was a soap opera for us as well. Yeah. So we kind of rolled with the punches and and uh, was ready for whatever decision that was going to be made. Mm. And look, so you, so you've spoke about your chemistry with Favre. I mean, what I and I I don't want to compare Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and ask you to pick one over the other. This isn't Sophie's choice. This is you know this is the Packers podcast. It's the celebrity episode. It's Greg Jennings. But what I'd like to pick your brain on is, I mean, you had that type of chemistry with Favre. How different was it? with Aaron Rodgers because um, the, where the angle I'm coming from is that Favre was the veteran he was the he was the guy in authority and Rodgers being the kind of young guy coming in I mean was it much different then because of those type of factors and was the chemistry an awful lot different? Um, you know what the chemistry was it wasn't an awful lot different mm-hmm. um, you know Aaron Aaron and I it, well I take that back it, it, was, it was different from the initial yeah. standpoint where when Aaron took over, he pretty much, he and I had already had a rapport because I was not only starting, but I was still running practice squad reps. So, and he was always throwing me the ball. Um, and so we had already developed a rapport. So when he start, when he took over at the helm, I was, I became the guy, you know, where in, in everyone's mind, Donald was, was Brett's guy and Greg was kind of coming in late. Well, with, when Aaron took over, he made it a point that Greg is, the, Greg is my guy, you know? So it was kind of like the changing of the guards, if you will. Um, and I remember, I remember even my rookie year, him, him coming over to me when we were at the, the soft drinks and getting something to drink. And he comes over and he's like, this is going to be the, the Aaron and Greg show soon. So just hold on, just, just give it some time. It'll be, it'll be our show soon. I mean, this was, this was within weeks of me getting there. Yeah. And that was, that was a comment that he made. And did he always have that confidence, Greg? He did. He always had that confidence. He went up against the first team defense on scout team and he prepared as though he was going to beat them every single day, which he did not. He yeah. struggled mightily, but I think it it developed him mentally um, 
to 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 give him that that uh, mindset of you know what if I, I haven't I wasn't able to have success against these guys because I didn't have the talent that they had. Yeah. You know I didn't have one. I wasn't going with the ones. Mm-hmm. So it gave him that extra motivation of give me some give me all quality guys and I guarantee I'll be able to be that guy. And that was his mindset. So when he took over, he knew. He knew he was he was ready. He was equipped. He was he was prepared for that moment, that stage, mm. and he embraced it and he ran with it, and he's still running strong. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, fan favor. But the, the thing is, like, I mean, the the attitude would be that Aaron Rodgers had to sit behind Brett Favre. But do you think that it benefited him to sit behind Brett Favre because he actually needed to? Because you know, we've watched all of your interviews over here. Um, and we've seen you, you know, Skip Bayless was waxing lyrical about this, that and the other. So he talks about how Aaron Rodgers' mechanics had to be rebuilt. I mean, did you see any of that in practice or did you see the potential instantly in him and go, God, this guy's going to be good? Um, you know, I didn't see all of that, but you saw the potential. Yeah, You saw the potential in him. I mean, you saw that competitive edge that he had, that competitive drive where anything Brett did, I can do. That was his mind. He he never said it, but he carried himself, and his actions spoke it. His actions said it. So whatever Brett did, he he was going to do that much better. The no look pass and all of that. Brett Brett did all of that, and he had the luxury of watching and seeing that, and he was able to perfect it and and kind of make it a complement to his game within his game. And I think that's what makes him so special. He sat behind Brett and it was a great it was a great situation for him, although you everybody thinks that they should start and they should play right away. But he had an opportunity not to just become Brett, but to take bits and pieces of Brett's game and to implement them, whether he will admit that or not. We as athletes, we do that. We watch, we observe, and the great ones they take from other great athletes, and they they make it a part of what they do to to make their craft that much more unique and diverse and a challenge to the defender. And that's what Aaron has done over the course of his career because of sitting behind Brett and then developing and and mentally and getting that experience and that exposure on the field. It just went to a new height. Yeah, and certainly help by you, Greg, because we've all seen the plays. I mean, you just have to, have to type in Greg Jennings, be great, and there's just play upon play upon play of you tormenting defenders. I'd say they hated lining up against you. Um, but a funny story that we have to hark back to, and I know I might be repeating myself, is that really funny Madden video. Is the story true that the, the Saints would say to you, Greg Jennings, puss the team on his back, though? I mean, is that, you know, is that a lasting memory you have from that game? So it, it was, it's funny because that video, it was the guy was playing Packers and the Saints, but we played a playoff game. Yeah. And we were playing the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. And literally, they had a safety that, Every time I hit the ground, or every time I made a catch, and I and he would he would r- literally run over to the pile if he wasn't already on top. He's like, he put the team on his back, though. Great, Jenny. Every single play, and I had to tell him, man, shut up. I mean, it was I was he had me crying. 
Yeah. But it was like, man, if you don't focus, we are whooping <laughs> y'all right now. <laughs> That's an amazing story. But, did, I mean, yeah. did you ever meet the guy who made the video? You know what? I never met him in person, but I did speak with him um, over the phone. Uh, we still keep in contact, actually. That's amazing. That's really good. <laughs> but look, I mean, to take it seriously now, yourself and Aaron, you just crushed it and you just went all the way to the Super Bowl. But it wasn't your typical Super Bowl season, I mean, at 10 and 6. Was there belief with you and within the locker room that the Super Bowl was realistic, especially since there were so many road playoff games against the top seeds? Because, I mean, Green Bay was number 6, right, in the seeding. So, I mean, did it seem like an uphill climb or was the confidence there that you were on a hot streak now and that you were going to take it? it? We definitely believed in what, what we had going. Um, and if you recall the last few games of the season... We, we went on a run um, to get in, and we knew we had something special, um, and it, it literally carried into our the play during the playoffs. Yeah. So going down, going over to Philly, uh, we, we pretty much knew, okay, like if we get past Philly, we go down to Atlanta, and we knew, like everyone in that locker, everyone in the organization wanted to go to Atlanta because they had won one that we felt we got a little slighted on early in the season. Mm. Um, and so we, we wanted to go down there and prove that we were a better ball club than them, and, and we did that. And then we had the Bears, the team that we felt like they did not want us to get in. We got in because we beat them in the finale at, at Lambeau, and now we have the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl from their field be, uh, off of them. And it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been a greater story to tell. And we went in there with a confidence high, and uh, we got the job done. And we again we believe we we knew that we could do it if we just removed every ounce of ego. And the Super Bowl itself, Greg, did it get to you? I mean, do you see? Obviously, it's the you know it's the greatest show on turf. Everyone watches it. You have people. What's the most watched sporting event ever? Do you, do you get that sense, or is it just another game that you have to win? Um, you know what? Mike did a great job of, of really kind of dummying the platform down. Mm. You know, he everybody talked about the Super Bowl, and he wouldn't let us call it the Super Bowl. He said, guys, we're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is a Green Bay Packers against the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is another game. This is another team. This is no different than any other game you will play other than the stage, but we don't care about the stage because all we care about is the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're not playing the stage that we're on. Yeah. And that really resonated with us, you know, so we always looked at, you know, that that game as just another game. And I think, you know, when com- we listened to all the media and everyone, they were talking about the, the lack of experience we had and the the experience that the, the, the Steelers did have. Mm. And because of the way Mike had kind of presented the game to us, we didn't need experience because for a Super Bowl. Yeah. We just we had experience of playing the Pittsburgh Steelers before. We had experience of playing games before. And that's how we approached it. This is a game. This is still football. It's no it's no different than any other game. It's still four quarters. They're still fifteen minutes long. I mean you still have three timeouts each half. I mean, nothing changes. Yeah. He was like, the only adjustment you need to make is you're going to be in the locker room a little longer at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it was, and when you when you break it down, you don't need experience. 
you don't have there is no lack of experience of of playing in a game like that because everyone has done it yeah and those two touchdowns Greg the, the, were they do they go down as the best touchdowns you've ever scored because they're Super Bowl touchdowns or are they just the same as some of the really awesome ones that you pulled in throughout your whole career yeah it's it was definitely those two touchdowns in that game specifically the second one because it it, it pretty much sealed the deal but even greater than the touchdowns the greatest catch of my career was the third and 10 um, over the middle Um, huge momentum regainer for us and it helped us sustain that that win yeah and I mean once you've won the Super Bowl how long does it take for it to settle in that you've reached the absolute pinnacle of your sport and your craft Um, you know what it it didn't it, it never it didn't quite settle in until like months after quite honestly um yeah. it was kind of a numbing experience um and it was one that you you wanted to take in you you didn't know how to climb at least for myself personally mm-hmm. i didn't know how to respond it was like we won the super bowl and it was like <laughs> ah. it was it was surreal yeah. it really was but now when you look back on it it's uh you, you see you can it it was a special moment it was a it was it was just a special team that we had and it's something that literally will forever cement the guys that were on that team and forever yeah and i mean to go from that greg and you know there's only maybe one or two questions left i don't i don't keep you i know you're a busy man um so you know you go from this sort of magic moment in green bay and then after that for a bit of a change-up, you go off to the Minnesota Vikings. Did you understand the sort of, you know, the gravity of the situation? And did you expect Packer fans to react the way they did when you went to Minnesota? And was that a really difficult decision for you? Or is it all business, you know, when... Because, I mean, you're all people, right? And I know that the media and fans and all almost treat players like a commodity and like ownership that, you know, you have to stay with one team forever. So going to the Vikings... How would you sort of summarize that whole experience for you? Um, well, number one, I, I, I'll say this. <clears throat> I never wanted to leave Green Bay. Um, they knew that. Um, I, I knew that. I voiced that. But at the same time, when, you're, when you know that they're doing what's best for them and they're making a business decision that best suits them, you have to shift your mindset. So there's no there's no such thing as okay, let's give let's give them what they want as a as it fits their business decision and disregard what is best for me. At that point, I wasn't looking at legacy or um, career. I, I've never been one that was caught up into stats and cared about Hall of Fame or any of that stuff. Never, never, ever to this, to, to this day. I've never been caught up into that. So my decision wasn't made on, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to have a quarterback or I'm not going to be able to do the things that I could do on the football field. My decision was made surely off a of business decision. You know, the Packers weren't willing to step up to the plate and – to take care of me the way that I felt they should have because, I, I mean, my play definitely had spoken for itself over the course of the seven years that I had been there. Um, but, and then, I mean, 
at the end of the day, I, I was I was bitter about it. So the grumblings and the thing, the comments that were made and projected back on on the organization or the team team members over there, it was it was out of spite. It was bitter. Um, and you know, I've moved beyond that. I moved past it now, and I'm able to have grown from the, that. But it was definitely a business decision that I had to make for my family and I, and it, it was for nothing more than that. It wasn't for um, to to get applauded by any fan, uh, to be received by any Packers. I mean, I the the fans didn't draft me. The Packers did. The fans didn't remove me or usher me out. The Packers did, you know? So, I mean, it, it was nothing against fans. It was nothing. It was a sure business decision on all, all with, with all players involved. Yeah, and I, do you know what? I'd like to stress that on the podcast that we do here, which is pretty successful here in the UK and Ireland, that at the, at the end of it all, I mean, the players are people. They've got families. I mean, you've got, you know... You've got a beautiful family there, a loving wife. And as you said, I mean, you know, it, it's important to you and this is your job. And I don't know how I'd feel if I was at my job and I had some like millions and millions of people saying, no, you're, you're doing that wrong. You know, and that must that pressure must be insane. And do you know what? I mean, this is from me speaking. And I know that we feel this way here in the UK and Ireland that Greg, you'll always be a Packers legend here. You always put in an insane amount of, you know, you always gave it 150 percent for the Packers. And without you, we wouldn't have won that Super Bowl. Um, so certainly, I think fans kind of need to get over themselves sometimes and sort of look past all of their, you know, sitting at home wearing a jersey, looking at the game on TV is an awful lot different when you're Greg Jennings who has to look after his family and his kids. So certainly, that's something I understand. So Greg, I mean, finally, if we can just talk about your retirement then, what's on the cards for you now? Is it Are you going to stay involved in the game and stay with the punditry or are you sort of going to spend more time now with your family and go back into the likes of education and the architectural engineering that you wanted to do all those years ago? Um, you know what? I'm definitely going to stay um, involved in the game from an analyst uh, perspective. You know, I've done some work with ESPN and NFL Network and Fox yeah. and uh, I'll continue to do that and those things but I'm going to pursue all the things that you know, I've ever, I've, I've always wanted to do, which is, you know, acting and producing my own shows and mm. creating my show, own shows, which I've started, which I've done now, and now in the process of starting to pitch. So, I mean, but most importantly, be able to spend that time with my family and and, and be dad, three sixty five days of the yeah. year out of the year now. So. Uh, that that's one thing that excites me, being able to pick my kids up, drop them off at school, do their homework with them, you know, and be present, be more present. So that that's what is on the horizon. That's what I've been doing, and that's what excites me. Well, Greg, I, I, from the bottom of our hearts here, I mean, we you know, we have to thank you for coming on the podcast. And look, we mean nothing but the best for you and your family and hope everything works out for you. We really enjoy your punditry. You're, you're, you know, you're nothing but honest and you haven't disappointed on the podcast. You come on from, you know, the very start, you are painfully honest with us. So, Greg, all the best to you and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Steve. You have a great one.